I think you could sell your own product, whether it be on like Facebook Live or. But what I'm trying to say is, with people are going to put like you go in a stadium with your own equipment and just live stream right away, and just it's a matter of selling your brand to get people to listen to your specific stream. Hey friends, this is Austin, and welcome to episode 10 of the Gritty and Curious podcast, a podcast that showcases gritty and curious ideas, people, and communities. Please subscribe, rate, and review if you liked this episode or any previous episode. This way, I know you're listening, and it inspires me to keep creating, especially when I'm just chilling here during the pandemic. In this episode, I talk with Noah Powell about sports, storytelling, and fake news. Quite the breadth of topics going on here. We kind of went in with a plan, but then we started bouncing around, and you guys are really going to like this. It's super interesting. We talk about the future of sports, how to tell a great story, what makes a great story, and then we dive into fake news because that is something that a term that's bouncing around in the media today and obviously something that is affecting all of us. So Noah is one of my best friends. I've known him since elementary school. He is a Division II football player and he is a communications and media studies major at Stonehill College. So I gave Noah a brief introduction, but I think that he can introduce himself a little bit better than I can. So here is Noah. All right, so my uh, background in sports is I've been playing football my whole entire life. So that's my one true love, my specialty. And I played four years or three years Division two football at Stonehill College. Unfortunately, going to my senior season, I got hurt and wasn't able to play my senior season. But that's what began my sports broadcasting career ultimately as I became uh, the sports director for the radio station 91.3 WSHL at our school, Stonehill. And that is when I led a broadcast team and broadcasted myself for all the uh, Stonehill football games this past season, along with the men and women Stonehill basketball games. Along with my team, I worked as a play-by-play and a color analyst, and I also work as a freelance journalist and just anything I get my foot my feet wet with in sports. So Noah is a big sports guy. I mean, growing up, we were always playing touch football. We always played in you know rec basketball leagues. But the main thing is that he's a big sports guy. So when I wanted to bring somebody on to talk about the future of sports, I knew Noah was the guy to go to. So in the first segment of today's episode, we talk about the future of sports and what the future of sports is going to look like for fans, players, how players are going to prepare. So let's get into it. How is COVID affecting sports right now? And what do you think is going to happen in terms of the seasons that we were anticipating to be able to watch, but now we're probably not going to be able to experience them? Well, I guess first and foremost, a lot of it is, I think they have to happen. It's necessary to society for just a release and just economically. There's so much that goes into sports, especially in the pro level and the collegiate level. Uh, just collegi- collegially to begin with, I saw like some numbers about the LSU pro football program. If they were to cancel their collegiate season, their football season, there's no guarantee at all that they'd be able to support any of their other programs besides basketball. Because they're the, with their revenue and income, they're the one that money is what supports all these other like sub-teams, like women's basketball, gymnastics, baseball, softball, 
like the prime revenue make the revenue makers for these schools are their huge football teams because everyone all the profit that comes into it go in the stadium, obviously more seats, more things you can sell, longer games. So it's way more to it than just the action of playing the sport. So losing that is one thing that would be so detrimental. So that's why I think it has to happen. So Noah draws a connection between big football programs and all of the other programs that NCAA schools offer and basically explains how, you know, if we, if schools can't generate revenue from the football season, then likely they won't be able to fund other programs. If there is a season, how is the lack of preparation going to affect the season coming from your perspective, having played college football? Well, for one, I think that delays could happen, like pushing the season back a week or two in order to get teams together for a little bit. But when you get to that level, it's definitely going to be detrimental to freshmen because you're losing that adjustment period to the speed of the game, a college game. You're playing, you're going from playing with 16 to 17 year old uh, kids up to 23, 24 years old. So definitely a big difference. But a lot of it too, at least football wise, is once you get to that level, especially once you adjust, it's less about the physical, what you need to do. It's just such a complex understanding of the game. So you're still able to study film all the time, go through plays, and you can learn a playbook perfectly fine without having to actually be there. Like, so you can still come into the camp, into camp or come into the season expected to execute knowing your role and what you're supposed to do. Yeah, realistically, if you understand that, it should take, you're expected within like a week, a week and a half to really drill things in with muscle memory. Because going into practice, like every week, you're having a new game plan anyway, and there's a new way to approach each offense. Like one week you're playing a power run, the next week you're you're playing a spread offense. There's going to be different things and techniques that you need to apply for each week. And after watching film and installing those things on, say, a Monday or Sunday, by Tuesday when you run it, that's when you make your mistakes. Wednesday you start remembering, and Thursday you should be perfect. So I think in that aspect, just the film study itself, like through Zoom, whatever you want to do, just like you're in class, just be still just as effective. So in terms of preparing for the season, I thought that players would be at a drawback if they didn't have that physical preparation of being with their team and everything. But obviously that's not the case. You know, preparing for a season is much more than going to camp and hitting the weight room and doing all that kind of stuff. It's important for players to, you know, exactly how Noah said. They're hopping on Zoom, they're getting in calls, they're studying the playbook, and they're preparing their brains for what they are going to encounter in the upcoming season. It's more so preparing yourself from a mental standpoint as opposed to getting ready from a physical standpoint. So assuming we have live sports or live live football, how do you think that like stadium operations and the way fans experience the game and how people interact with the game is going to be different? Well, that you see, that's what's going to be a real interesting dynamic that comes into it. Because obviously fans play such a big role in just the athletes on the field itself feeding off the environment and like people supporting you like home almost home field wouldn't even matter anymore necessarily in certain occasions besides like weather and dome and that type of stuff if there's no fans but i think that goes into what changes with broadcasting what like what's going to happen with broadcasting and as of right now 
for quarantine, I think we're seeing a very interesting dynamic develop where, well, that was going along with the trend. Um, I feel personally right now, there's been more fan and athlete interaction more than ever, just with social media and all different stuff. Like, uh, players really trying to show they're more who they are outside the field. So you have more relationship with them. It obviously helps their brand. But along with that, I feel that fans are interacting with each other way more on social media as well. As you see all these fan bases, they like, build up with their own Eagles, like with their own um, accounts, like Eagles Nation. You have uh, Cowboys fan like, Twitter accounts. You have all these different specific team-based things that involve fans. I think what's going to change is if that's not allowed. I wouldn't be surprised if people have their own personal broadcasts or just streaming together. Like I saw there was draft parties led by these different accounts for teams just to, like fans to just vent and just talk about the draft picks as everything was going on as like a team. So there's going to be a lot of fan, personal fan interaction just to improve on their own like, interaction and environment of the game, which should be real cool. I wanted to ask for Noah's perspective on the fan experience because he has some experience with broadcasting and he obviously has experience with how fans are interacting right now as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. And a lot of people are coming together, whether that be around the shared interest in sports or a sports team. And it's unique to see how tragedy is kind of bringing everybody together. Essentially, anybody can be a broadcaster now that you have your phone and everybody can go live at any point and you've seen it. But how are professional sports broadcasters or people like you that have the experience that have experience doing like professional work in this field? How, how can you guys differentiate yourself from the everyday person that can just hop on their phone and start live streaming? Well, I think one part of it's going to be because now with technology getting more and more advanced and, and then broadcast becoming more and more of a common thing that people want to do, equipment is simplifying getting cheaper. So you have more access to be able to do these things that you want on your own. So I think one thing that could happen is obviously we've seen the shift to sports, sports companies using just professional athletes right off the bat to broadcast games and become analysts, which seems to be taken away positions for people who, who weren't in that field, like who weren't a professional athlete, maybe not. Like, you could still be an athlete, athlete myself, but I'm never playing pro and things like that. But I think with this new technology, you could create your own brand and your own broadcasting following because there's on the way more online streaming, way more just access to different ability to listen to things. So I guess basically what I'm saying is I think you could sell your own product whether it be on like Facebook Live or what I'm trying to say is because people are going to put like you go in a stadium with your own equipment and just live stream right away. And just it's a matter of selling your brand to get people to listen to your specific stream. Like the same way you choose your own podcast. Right. In comparison to like, you know, all right, so here we go. So like, you know, how the BCS national championship when they air, airs on ESPN, all the different channels, but how others, it's like ESPN one, ESPN two, and sometimes TNT and TBS. All of those have, you have the main broadcast, which is just probably what, Kirk Herbstreet and whoever doing that. But then you could go to the team specific. So like this year, you could listen to the Clemson broadcast. And then you could listen to an LSU broadcast. Or you could listen to just like an analyst professional side broadcast. Or you could listen to like whatever you want. 
So this was interesting because I'd never thought about this before. And you see it now. Like there's people, fans, athletes, sports analysts that are popping up on social media and they're broadcasting sports games. They're giving their commentary on certain things. So imagine that you had the choice between, let's say you're watching the Super Bowl or you're watching a college football game and you had the option to listen to an ex-college football player from that team commentate the game from their perspective. And it's kind of unique because you're bringing in all of these different perspectives and we've become so accustomed to just tuning into a specific channel and relying on a channel or like a, a specific broadcast to give us our news or to commentate on a specific game. But like Noah's saying, all of this can change. So what I was saying with those options like that, I think people are going to start just doing on their own, get just a press pass, go in the stadium and just broadcast away on your own right then and there. The same way that I'm in the stadium at the same time during basketball games, doing the radio broadcast, and there's still the video broadcasters going on. And then at the same time with football games, there's other, like we hire other companies to come in and just do minor video productions. I thought there's going to be way more simultaneous broadcast. The only people on the only report, only press reporters on the sideline aren't just going to be writers and photographers. I think there's going to be people doing their own broadcast themselves. So in terms of video broadcasting, do you think that there's going to be individual players that get their, like a press pass and they come in? Like, how does that permission work? Like, you can't, like, can you just get a, a, a media pass and come in with your equipment and like video broadcast a, a sports game? Uh, you could be, that's what we're going to see what's going to happen. Because you're allowed, you could be a freelance journalist. But a lot of it comes down to the connections of who you know and what could get you in, or just that you had to have some credibility behind yourself. Like if you have a resume, like say you're working for Fox Sports for a while, but now you want to get out there and do things on your own, you show, you send your resume and you show what you have that you're a credible source, then you get your media pass. You would be by yourself, you'd be representing yourself, but you could get that pass. So who are you submitting that application to? The stadium. The stadium press is who they control who goes in and out and who's allowed to be pressed. So obviously a full-blown transition to independent journalists and independent broadcasters is a little bit complex because there are people and entities that you have to get past in terms of whether that be a stadium or whatever it may be to gain access to getting into the stadium in the first place but if there's enough demand for independent broadcasters i'm sure that these gates will be opened and there will be a change in how people absorb news or how they get their sports broadcasts so do you think that these individual freelance broadcasters are going to become more prevalent because of the quarantine or because of the technology that's available? A little of both. I think the core, it's, it's the technology that's available combined with the quarantine. This quarantine is giving you time to just think about these new ideas you have and ways to facilitate things. Just think about how many more podcasts and means of entertainment people are doing right now without things going on. So 
right now people are developing their own brands trying to sell their own so like this podcast for example like you said you're you're establishing yourself right now but as there's not much going on in the world to function you're just kind of keeping things going right now so when these start establishing themselves throughout the rest of quarantine why stop once quarantine ends now you have you have a little following and a brand you're going to establish that with the how easy it is to move your technology nowadays. So the quarantine period and the COVID-19 pandemic have been pretty tough on a lot of people, but it has provided a lot of opportunity for people to create new things. You know, like Noah said, a lot of people are coming out with their own podcasts. They're starting their own thing on Instagram, whether that be, you know, fitness page or some cooking page or something. So if you're eager to create something, take advantage of the opportunity right now because you probably won't ever have another time where you are sitting in your house all day. So start creating. So this kind of ends the first segment about sports and now we transition into how to tell a story and the concept of storytelling. And Noah has a lot of experience with this because of his major and what his experience is. And I also think that storytelling and your ability to communicate with people is one of the most important skills that you can have. So you guys are really going to appreciate this. Let's get into it. How do you how do you tell a story? Oh, there's so many ways to tell a story. This is the type of story that you want to tell. You can tell like a feature piece about someone's life. You could do... A story, just you're reporting it. You can do it as a typical news story. There's always there's a different way to tell a story for everything you look at. For example, like just the, the current the the Last Dance documentary. That's a story, and that's told in that documentary style. Versus having a story out of let me try to I'm trying to think of a recent example. Like uh, Tom Brady, when he does his Facebook video, that's just from that's a Tom Brady story. That's told about his from his perspective, from an outside view. So there's so many. There's no right way to tell a story. Is what I'm trying to say. So I agree. There's no right way to tell a story, but there are certain things that all stories have that make them a story, and that's what we talk about next. If there's no right way to tell a story, and there's lots of different types of stories. What are some common elements? in every single story, whether that be a quick like Instagram video or a full blown documentary. Like what are the what are the key elements of a story that makes it a story? Well you need a beginning, a middle and an end. You have to be you have to be going somewhere. You know it can't be about nothing. So you have to have a beginning, middle and end. You have to have something that entices your reader or listener or watcher because if it's bland there's nothing eye-popping you there, there's no story there's nothing there nobody wants to listen to you and you just need credible sources and information to help fuel the story and get the, the drive it along so if you have something so if you have an idea you know where you want this idea to go you have the beginning part the middle part the end part you know how you're going to bring people in to draw people in to view this and in the first minute or first line or first what at first whatever from that it's all about what you do yourself you're getting enough research asking enough questions you're getting you're putting in enough stats you're using enough 
creative language, that's where things start to vary. So stories have a beginning, middle, and end. They, they answer questions. There's lots of research that goes into developing them. But how do you draw people in? Like what makes a story compelling? Like what, what's, how do you develop like a good hook? So I can say in the writing world, the best way to describe it. So it's the first line in all stories is called your lead. And your lead is a, is a, is a sentence, like in the formal basic way. It's a sentence that covers what your story is about and tells the reader directly about, but does not completely give them everything that makes them want to read the next line and find out more. So that's how you write an effective lead. But I was also interested in learning more about the writing process. So Noah is going to outline how he would write a story about the future of NCAA football. First, all right, so first and foremost, you talk about NCAA football, so you have to put something in your your lead, your starting sentence. NCAA football, potential of of canceling season or whatever you think is going to happen, and just something that brings people in, like a why. You, you can narrow, you can fix that lead later. That's just kind of like a general idea. So within that, you need, you have to find your source. You have to get your information. So you can find your general things online that you can find that are just open to the public that narrows down your information. And then from there, you can't just put that, relay that in. You have to get more information that people want to get. So you reach out, you find your sources, you reach out to people, you make calls. And within these, with your calls, you're expanding on this information you already have and developing a story even more. It's an actual piece that you wouldn't have to be able to find just from Googling the internet and going through the internet. And with, the, with this process, when you're interviewing these people to get more information to help tell your story, you, you're coming in with questions pre, pre-created, pre-made. So that way you can create kind of get a flow of what's happening and organize things to go in a certain way. But sometimes when you just go into it, you're not getting the right answers or, or people just kind of start talking about things that you don't need. That's not important to the story. So as long as you have questions prepared, it makes you look better. And as you start getting a flow and a rhythm as they're answering your questions and you're asking more, but eventually you just create a better rapport between you and your, and the, and your source. And then they can just tell you more along those lines that you wouldn't even have thought of. And then once you get these sources and ideas and that fit along with what you need, then you start formulating, formulating your story. You fill in the middle pieces, you fill in what's going to happen. And then just from that, that's how you organize it. You have your story. Obviously, you have, there's like the fancy, there's the writing, just making it like it look more attractive with types of sentences or nice words and all that, obviously. But the brunt of it is just your sources, your information, your quotes. And that makes that what makes your source reliable more seem more valid and credible. So basically the storytelling process is as follows. There's a lead, you have to do a lot of research, you're calling people, you're interviewing people, you have to have your questions prepared, and the brunt of it is your sources. Um, and at the end is when you format it into a story and you make it look fancy and you add fancy words and you format it and make it look nice. But Noah mentioned the reason that the sources are the most important part of the story is because that is what makes the story authentic. It's what it's the backbone of the story. And something that 
we are struggling with today is that we don't know what's true and what's false because there are so many different opinions out there. And a lot of the times, certain stories will get labeled as fake news because the sources aren't right or we don't believe in what the other person is saying. So the next thing that we talk about is the concept of fake news. So what is fake news? I think it's, it's clickbait and it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a deliberate misinforming people. It's a hoax. It's a way to get a rise. It's, it's just not, it's not real journalism. That's why you don't really, I wouldn't consider fake news exact, being conducted by, at least in a written manner, by these top agencies and companies. Fake news is kind of what you see online on social media, just random people creating hoaxes. And maybe you could say that I think that's when it gets misconstrued. So on, on TV, when these politicians or different people are talking about different topics and ideas and then trying to sway people on your side and their belief, that's what could be persuaded. It's seen as a little fake news, but what they're saying is tinted, tainted, but just online, it's a, it's a much bigger difference, I think, which is what it comes down to straight up just writing journalism. How do journalists make sure they're producing real news if there's such a thing? And like, how do they ensure that there's authenticity and it's, it's like a genuine story and kind of what differentiates fake news from, from real news? Well, I guess for at least for new for a genuine news reporting and sports reporting, it, it's your credibility is all you have. And just one time writing a fake story or something's not true, falsifying a quote, you're just officially blacklisted. Like that's it. No one's gonna hire you. No one's just, what are you as a writer? You're not. We can't believe you. You're nothing as a writer. So why is there, Why would we ever trust the source again? Because all the time you're gonna be questioning stuff. So that's first and foremost. But along with that is just the more sources you have and people you quote, the more validity there is to it. If you're telling the story just with your own words and no actual support, there's more reason to not be believed. And there's also differences. There's still differences on opinion pieces and on the factual story pieces. There's a big, there's a big difference behind that. Like people saying that, oh, I think the Eagles drafting Hurts is a great decision and can result in Carson Wentz being taken out wouldn't be considered fake news if that's what the Eagles want to do that's just an opinion you know what I'm saying fake news is just those writers that that's really a lot more what you see on social media and random sources not that like valid New York Times or ESPN or news or just any credible news site I think that one of the big issues with the way that people like digest news today is that a lot of people are just relying on their Twitter feed or Instagram as mm -hmm. a way to kind of get an understanding of what's going on in the world today. So and that's, that's like, that's a matter of having media literacy, just having understanding your way to, to navigate a media landscape. You have to be just a press up to you to be coherent enough and just understand that not everything you see is true and where you're getting your information from is a big point of it. If random Joe Schmo tweets some crazy fact, doesn't mean it's right. But if you see it from the New York Times or you see 
from a verified ABC News, then there's obviously more reason to believe this fact. There's so much information out there, and everybody thinks that they're an expert in whatever they're tweeting or posting, and you really have to be vigilant with what you believe in online. And if there is going to be a push for independent journalism, that just adds more opinions to the equation. And that just requires consumers to be more educated and knowledgeable about the things that they are reading and looking at. Now I kind of want to talk about the intersection of what we were discussing before about independent journalism and independent freelance broadcasters and this concept of fake news. If there's independent freelance, you know, freelancers that are going to broadcast sporting events or they're going to broadcast other types of things, what is that like? What do they need to do to kind of gain that? gain an audience that they that trust them to deliver news that's authentic and not fake if there's such a connotation around you know all of the stuff that comes yeah. out on twitter and instagram not being true well first and foremost like a lot of it too i see that these independent broadcasts i can see this is like kind of just a stepping ground for them creating their own resume and their way to move up and to sell themselves but a lot of it too is going to come down to like your who like who your who your viewers are. It's going to come down to how you sell yourself. And there's different ways type of broadcasting you could be. You could become a like a specific team broadcaster, like in support of that team. Or if you're a general broadcaster, it's just so you. It's just a matter. You're just saying you're covering the game. And when you actually get your chance at these viewers, you can't sway that point. You can't say one thing or another. You just need to be straight up with what it is. And I guess a lot of it, along with it, could just be other explaining who you are and what you've done. It's just like any, it's like anything or what any in any career, any profession, anyone's doing. You have to create a background for yourself and a brand and build on that brand. You're not going to start with a thousand viewers right away, but if you're truthful, if you're genuine to your first ten, then your ten hopefully going to tell more people to listen and more people to listen. You just follow behind that. So today we covered three things. First, we talked about sports, and then we transitioned into storytelling and closed it out with a discussion about fake news. I learned a lot about all of this stuff today. I think it was super interesting. If you have any questions about anything that we covered today, you can contact Noah Powell at NPOW55 on Twitter and on Instagram. You've been listening to the Gritty and Curious podcast, a podcast about gritty and curious ideas, people, and communities. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, leave a rating, and write a quick review. By doing these things, you let me know you're listening, and it inspires me to keep creating stuff just like this. You can get every episode of Gritty and Curious wherever you listen to your podcast and on my website, samaustin.blog. Until next time, thank you so much for listening.